welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that puts those sweet, nostalgic, loving movies and TV shows right back into your ear holes. And you enjoy it. And you think, those guys are pretty cool for doing that. And you know what? We are. We are pretty cool. So thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Us cool guys. Thank you for listening. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we've got a redundant episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you could only listen to one thing about He-Man, you're wrong. Because we've got three things all about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. We are going to review the 1987 movie Masters of the Universe, review the 1983 to 85 cartoon He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and we're going to do our own casting of a new He-Man movie. So yeah, I hope you like (laughs) He-Man. Very similar to our Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice episode. We're all things He-Man today. And 87, Master of the Universe. What happened in 87, Mr. John? Well, so much stuff. We've already talked about 87 with the Running Man and the Monster Squad. I've said before, there's just a lot of really good nostalgic movies that came out that year. A couple things I I saved for this particular one. At the Grammys for that year, the album of the year went to a great album, The Joshua Tree by you two. Great album. At the Oscars, Best Picture went to a picture that I've never even heard of called The Last Emperor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely know of the movie. And an interesting thing that happened, uh, this guy is my hero. A man named Steve Rothstein bought a lifetime first-class ticket on American Airlines for $250,000. He then subsequently flew over 10,000 flights and cost the company $21 million in free flights, and they finally terminated his ticket in 2008. <laughs> That was an investment. Yeah. And a smart investment at that. I've heard of flight companies that used to do that and people could just like honestly live on their planes and on their dime and just fly and get free food, you know, (laughs) they spent 200 to whatever thousand dollars for all you can fly for the rest of the, for their lives. And then it screws them Mm, over. I need lunch today. Maybe I'll fly to Spain. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, without further ado, let's dive into Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. It always bothered me that they didn't put in He-Man in the title of this movie. It always did. I'm just throwing that out there right away. No, it kind of bothered me too. Yeah. Came out in 87, starred Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. He's most famous for me as uh, he was Nixon in the movie Frost Nixon. Mm -hmm. Dolph Lundgren, if you're listening to this podcast, you should sure as hell know who he is. He was Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. I must break you. This movie also stars Courtney Cox and a couple other people. I can't really remember their name. (laughs) This movie was directed by Gary Goddard. He really hasn't directed many other features that we would know and really mostly TV stuff. So not going to really talk about him again. And the music was done by Bill Conti, who we've talked about in our Rookie of the Year review. And he is also most famous for doing the music from the movie Rocky. So we start into this movie with some narration, some exposition just about 
Castle Grayskull. We kind of get this dramatic Bill Conti music going on. It's pretty solid. Uh, we meet Skeletor in a scene that they obviously ripped straight out of Star Wars because it was like very Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine-ish. Mm -hmm. To me, it was fairly obvious that Gary Goddard was a fan of Star Wars, or at least maybe he was told by his executive producers, we need you to make Skeletor as like Sith as possible. But that's cool. I like Sith. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Okay. The prosthetics. Oh, What did yeah. you think of it? I didn't care for it. I didn't either <laughs> at all. It did not hold up. No. Yeah, it looked fakely placed on his face. It, it also, I didn't like his eyes. His eyes bothered me the most because the cartoon, it's just a black skull head. Right. In his, you see the entire eyes and like everything. Right. It doesn't make sense. Like just, they, sh they should be all black. The thing that actually bothered me the most was his nose. Mm. From far away, the little black holes looked like black holes but when they had close-ups of them you could clearly see the mask was painted yeah you it was very <laughs> obvious that it was just painted black right there it looked fake and i didn't like it at all yeah i agree could have done something better or i don't changed it somehow i don't know but i i just did not like what they ended up going with yeah so we meet evelyn as well who she has the worst name in maybe like 80s cartoon history besides mind's eye from <laughs> from Dino Riders. Yeah. And we find out that they want to capture Castle Grayskull. Uh, we see the sorceress in this film, and she's his prisoner. This is just kind of like, oh, we're just kind of getting thrown into this world pretty quickly. We see Skeletor, like, announces his domination over Eternia in, like, a holographic form that he projects out to the world, basically. Uh, and we see He-Man real quick. He's pretty battle-worn. We just kind of then get into He-Man. We get these awful lasers, like, fight scenes. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, once we see He-Man, he's kind of got to fight his way out of some stuff because this is a bit a big war-torn country right now. And the graphics are just shit. And it makes you feel bad because this movie came out 10 years after Star Wars. And I think the Star Wars lasers were better than this one. Yeah. Also, the fight choreography, like, is just weak. <laughs> like, we're here early on where, yeah, we get... Dolph Lundgren and as He-Man just kind of like quickly fighting through some people. It's slow. It's not, I don't, it's not believable. That's no, for sure. Not much about this movie is believable. Yeah. <laughs> and best acting that comes out of this movie, I think, comes from the two people who aren't even really related to He-Man. The, you know, Courtney Cox yeah. and uh, Robert Duncan McNeil who plays her boyfriend, who we'll talk about when, when he shows up. Mm -hmm. And and that wasn't even saying much because their acting was not great, but theirs was the best out of all. <laughs> <laughs> I sadly agree. But here, you know, right after this early fight scene, we meet uh, Man-at-Arms, a.k.a. Duncan, and his daughter, Tila. We also meet this weird little character called Gwildor. Um, he was apparently captured by Skeletor's troops. We find out that he invented this thing he calls the Cosmic Key. This is where uh, the movie takes the turn where I stop believing in it because they start introducing <laughs> characters. That this I... is in the first like five minutes, John, and you already stopped believing it? <laughs> yes. And I'm talking about what I remember from seeing this the first time because I was such a He-Man cartoon fan. They bring this guy in and I'm like, I don't know who he is. 
Yeah. That's not a character I remember. Now, granted, they do that a lot in the cartoon as well, but... Yeah, I mean, they they have characters every week, basically, it was a new one. But when I think of some of John's favorite cartoons from the 80s that I associate, like, with his childhood even more than mine, like, He-Man is definitely one of them, that he was a He-Man fan where I wasn't as much in the cartoon, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah. But this was John's thing. He-Man was completely John's domain. And I'm not going to lie, I feel a little sad for you having to rewatch this movie. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it, maybe, maybe, maybe not. So Gul'dor, we meet Gul'dor and he's invented this cosmic key and it's basically just a transporter, creates portals that you can transport between worlds or wherever you want to go. I mean, the only cool thing about it is it's a musical instrument, essentially, which I identify with because I'm yeah. a music teacher, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, as you say, questionably. Questionably, I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah, exactly. It works on I mean, there are, tones. there are days I wish I could play a music instrument, create a portal and leave. But... Yeah. I bet you do. Yeah, working in public schools, that would do that to you. Wow, working in any school, public or private, would do that to you. Kids are great. Yeah. <laughs> they are our future. <laughs> We've got Skeletor's forces come, keep coming onto He-Man, basically. One thing I also gotta gotta bring up is I hated seeing He-Man with a blaster. Yeah. And film and shooting and like using guns. And like he used his sword a couple times, not nearly enough for me in my opinion, but like him with a blaster is just wrong. Yeah, I agree. It's it should just be him and his sword. And even man at arms who used the blasters in the cartoons were like wrist blasters. They weren't really like he didn't really hold like a gun or anything like that. It, it just it just looks so weird to me. Like he man with all these muscles and this sweet ass sword and then I'm just gonna shoot you with a little blaster. Pew pew pew. <laughs> it was just dumb. Yeah. So anyway, He Man and Man at Arms and Tila are in Gwildor's little like hut thing and Skeletor's people are coming on him. Uh, they escape through this secret door. We see Evelyn and Skeletor and the troops. They enter Castle Grayskull. They're taking over all of Eternia, basically, right now. This is how we're setting up the movie, is that Skeletor is winning right now. Our heroes escape via the key, this key that Gwildor made, which he lets us know that is a second key. He was forced to make one for Skeletor, who's got one, and then but he made a second prototype. But this is how He-Man and, and Tila and Man-at-Arms and Gwildor all escape the Castle Grayskull onslaught. Uh, and, and when Gwildor is putting in his coordinates, he basically is just like tapping in random shit. He doesn't even know where the hell they're going. And here is where, I guess, the real part of the journey starts. Is It takes him to Earth. What a fantastic coincidence. It didn't put him out <laughs> into the middle of space where they would have all like suffocated and died, which are the odds are... That's probably would have what would have happened. Probably a one in a trillion shot that <laughs> yeah. he got that right. How how fantastic these weird looking <laughs> alien guys, He Man in his very homocentric garb, <laughs> going out to barbarian esque. Barbarian esque, yes, going to eighties America. Once they get to Earth, we have a quick little humorous scene. Which at first we don't know where they are. We as as an audience finds out they're at Earth when Gwildor has this funny little scene where they're talking about a life form and it's a big life form and then they're checking their scanners and then they make a quick cut and it's a you know kind of a wide angle close-up shot of a cow what a hideous cry and it's just like ah ha, ha, cows are funny and gentle and whatnot <laughs> it, it was fine maybe maybe the the best humor in the movie for me <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when they teleported, apparently they lost the key. The key went somewhere else compared to the rest of them, which, I don't know, that doesn't make any damn sense to me. It doesn't make entirely sense, but remember, when they jumped through the portal, they actually forgot the key. Yeah. And they then used the they used the grabber and basically flung it through. And so if if you want to assume, you could assume that when it flew through, it came loose from the grabber and went flying somewhere. I guess I'll have to assume that's that. The only, I, I mean, that's the only way I can make that work in my head. Yeah. 
So yeah, Gwildor has this little grabber thing, and it actually comes back for some use later in the film as well. So that's what we know right now. The team is basically split up, and the key is elsewhere. Uh, We cut to a diner, and we meet our Courtney Cox. Very adorable, cute Courtney Cox. She does a pretty good job in this film, as you you mentioned. She's she's solid. Yeah, for the plucky teen girl who is forced into the situation she is. Uh, We get some setup that honestly doesn't really come back, and we don't really need it, of her moving out of town, and she's going to move to Jersey, ready to get out of this one-horse town (laughs) kind of thing. Nothing exciting ever happens. Yeah. We meet her boyfriend. Who's played by Robert Duncan McNeil, who would be very well known to Trekkies as playing Tom Paris in Star Trek Voyager. We get uh, just some more little setup between the two of them that you know, they're going to be breaking up before she leaves. We also find out that her parents are dead, that they apparently died in a plane crash. I, I couldn't really tell exactly how far back they died in the plane crash because there was a picture of her with her parents where she looked pretty much about the same age as she did now. Yeah. But it didn't seem like he knew her parents uh, or he had really met her parents before. And so I wasn't sure how long they were dating. It didn't yeah. ma- none of that matters. I don't really need that much depth, I guess, coming out of these <laughs> right. characters. But anyway, she's got a boyfriend and she's got dead parents. That's what we know about Courtney Cox. And she wants to leave. Before Courtney Cox leaves town, she wants to go see her parents at their graveyard. And so she goes to the cemetery. In that scene, the boyfriend finds this cosmic key. Him being a musician dude, he thinks it's some cool synthesizer. He's like hitting the buttons and the key like, it makes these cool noises. It works on tones. Yeah, it certainly sounds like a cool synthesizer. Yeah. (laughs) No, this is one of those new Japanese synthesizers. Here, let me try it. Back on Eternia, Evelyn finds where they are via some magic Eternia science tracker gizmo, and she decides that she's going to send an advanced troop to go take them down, to take down He-Man and that and those people, and get the key back. Cutting back to the boyfriend on Earth, he hits a button. It's kind of like the main button of the key that kind of like starts it all up. But anytime they're touching the key or using the key is when Skeletor and Evelyn can like track its usage mm-hmm. and try and like hone in on their GPS signal basically yeah. or their it's like turning the GPS on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, being, it's almost exactly that. being able yeah. to be tracked. So maybe this movie is an innovator. Maybe maybe it really like uh did some Nostradamus shit and like figured out how Earth would be 20 years later. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we we meet the quote-unquote advanced troop. So and they are they consist of Four characters who are Blade, Sarad, Beastman, and Karg. Blade is like this bald guy, kind of like, not really like with an eye patchy kind of thing. Kind of thing, yeah. Uh, and like kind of blades on his costume and he he fights with swords, yeah. basically. Sarad, yeah. he's like a lizardy looking guy. Beastman kind of looks fairly much like the Beastman from the cartoon. He's just very hairy. When we go over the cartoon, I think we should talk about some differences between yeah. the Beastman <laughs> movie or Beastman from the movie and Beastman from the cartoon. Yeah. But I mean, he's just basically a hairy, strong, angry guy. And then Karg, who was like short, kind of not really a lizardy-ish face, but like, I, I can't, I don't really know how to put it, but he had this like a bouffant wig kind of thing <laughs> in his hair. Massive 80s hair. It was ridiculous. But I definitely want to bring up that I liked... The prosthetics on those, particularly those four, are like like the costuming on their that quote unquote advanced troop, like those groups, I thought was pretty decent. I thought the prosthetics looked okay. The one issue I had was whenever they talked, their lips barely moved. Oh yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> Very true. Like the jaw would move, but the lips would not. <laughs> we're not moving hardly at all. Yeah. So those four guys go to Earth to try and find the key. We're, we also have some setup that I didn't talk about. The boyfriends, yeah, in a band, and like they're gonna do this show at like this high school gym or something like that. It's like a prom night or something. Yeah. Like that. So the evil team who is honing in on the weekend goes to this. High school where Courtney Cox is, is at right now. The boyfriend left. So he really wanted to go check out this synthesizer and take it to his musician buddy, which I don't understand. I think it was a completely idiotic dick move. He could have held on to the synthesizer and showed it to this other guy the next day. Yeah. His girlfriend was leaving town. Like, what an <laughs> asshole move. What the fuck was that? Like, really, think about it. What? Yeah. If you found a cool thing, I mean, I guess maybe it's just like he's so excited about it and that was that. I guess. But it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, your girlfriend is leaving and you're going to say, ah, fuck you. I'm going to just leave you for like a couple hours and go check out what this synthesizer is as opposed to spending quality time before you leave town. Well, it really does kind of show where his priorities are. Yeah. So I guess that's why he was easy to leave and that town was easy to leave. So I get it. <laughs> Good job, Courtney. You go, girl. <laughs> We're getting back to this scene. Basically, Courtney Cox is in trouble. She's screaming for help. He-Man finds her, and he fights these evil guys. Even she shoots one. They're not yeah. that hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he gives her a blaster and is like, protect yourself. Yeah. She's a crack shot. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, but okay. So the boyfriend sees the police while he's at the music store getting this quote-unquote synthesizer checked out. He sees the police, and he hears about like the fires at the gym, and so he basically goes to find Courtney Cox's character. We meet like the main cop who is like investigating this whole situation. Can't remember his name, but this guy love him to death because he is like not drill instructor, but whatever. He's like the, the yeah. major or lieutenant or whatever in Top Gun. What you should have done was land your plane. You don't own that plane. The taxpayers do. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. He was awesome. Well, he's a pinnacle of 80s movies from our childhood. Guy's name is uh, James Tolkien. Or Tolkien, I'm not sure. It's mm-hmm. T-O-L-K-A-N. Yeah, he plays Stinger in Top Gun, who you see at the beginning and the end of the movie. He's mm-hmm. the commander of the um, aircraft carrier that yeah. they're on. But he's such a badass. I know. <laughs> uh, he also plays uh, Mr. Strickland in oh, Back to the Future that's movies. right, of course, Mr. Strickland, too. Yeah. You're going to end up in big trouble. Oh, yes, sir. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. The two main movies you really kind of think of him in are Top Gun and Back to the Future. But essentially, every time I ever see him on on the screen, he's basically playing the same character. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm going to just now start a fan theory that it's just the same guy at different points in his life. Yeah. First, he was a naval commander. Then he became a uh, high school principal and then a detective. And <laughs> Yeah. He has the exact same demeanor. Yeah. Um, I can't see him, you know, being like, you know, the sweet grandpa next door. <laughs> kind of thing. He's mean, hardened guy. Yep. We then get Gwildor, apparently using his awesome inventing skills, finds like this 50s pink Cadillac and like soups it up. Uh, and he picks up the other people from Eternia as well as Corny Cox and whatnot. Native transportation. Operator, please report sets him up. It's like, hey, he, he plays around modifying cool things. I don't know. I didn't really need anything about that pink Cadillac, but yeah. it just, it helps get them around. It's just kind of like, all right, they need to start traveling a little bit faster well, it, now. I guess it sets up that this character is is amazing with, you know, mechanics and engineering and stuff like that, which the one thing that did sort of bother me, and I didn't bring this up before, but this character who essentially we find out at the beginning lives in a cave. I mean, it's a modified cave, but it's a cave. 
has the know-how and ability to create not one, but two items that can travel through the cosmos. Yes. And just at a whim did this. And so <laughs> that maybe that's the part that I had trouble with that with this character was, was that. Because he doesn't... No, he's very intelligent, but I don't want to say not street smart at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of seems that way. He's kind of like has some dumbish moments for, for comedic value. Right. But I didn't hate him as much as you did. But also I didn't have like the nostalgic love of He-Man that you did and like him not being a major character in yeah. in the sh- in the cartoon. Maybe that's why you're you're already predestined to dislike him. I guess. I mean, I guess I could just forgive it. So our evil team of advanced troopers go back to Skeletor without the key and he's pissed and basically he just kills Sarad the lizardy kind of looking guy the reptile dude just as punishment which I like that yeah <laughs> kind of like sets you know Skeletor up like yeah there are there are consequences yeah. it's not just going to be like most cartoons where if, if you get mad then the the main villain's just gonna be like oh dang it it's like <laughs> no you piss off Skeletor he'll, he'll fuck with you man he'll yeah. kill you like that He'll kill you dead. We get back to Earth. We're with the cop who is with Kevin, the boyfriend. They go back to, I think it's Corny Cox's house. um, And he doesn't believe that this is just a regular synthesizer at all. So he ends up taking it and he leaves with it. So the evil guys, they go back towards the boyfriend who is apparently... They were just kind of fiddling with the synth- with the key. Mm-hmm. And so they go back to that right after the cop leaves. Just fantastic coincidence. Uh, so they miss getting the key again. But they put this weird truth caller on Kevin mm-hmm. at one point. And he tells them about the cop and whatnot. So the evil group is off to go find the cop. He-Man comes in just after that and his guys. And Kevin still has the collar on. And he, they, they end up taking that off. And he kind of snaps back into reality. And they all end up going to the music store to find the key. And so we're all kind of gravitating towards like this music store right now. We've got everybody congregating at the music store with where this cop is at who has the key right now, the cosmic key. And we got a shootout at the music store and Gwildor is trying to get the keys, trying to make it work. And he doesn't really even know the coordinates of where to go back to. He just kind of like... He's winging it. Yeah, he is definitely 100% winging it. You know, I get it that he just tapped in random coordinates that took him to Earth, but shouldn't he know the coordinates of Eternia and how to get them back pretty easily? I mean, I don't know how this key works. I guess I'm assuming <laughs> I know how to how to make this. And... You're, well, you're assuming that he knows how to work it. Yeah, true. He can build it. He just doesn't he know how to, how to do it. So here we're in this shootout and Tila is out there. I just want to... I've got to mention that there's this one cheesy-ass line from Tila as she shoots one of like the evil troopers or that Mm -hmm. kind of thing where she shoots the guy and then she kind of like turns to her dad or somebody and says is Gwildor ready? Not yet. The room's secure. Anyway, it sounded like you needed a woman's touch out here. Woman at arms. Which is just like, it was so bad. It was like, because yeah. his her dad's character is named Man at Arms. And here, like, hey, strong 80s woman. She can fight men too, which is true. But it's also like, it's just, it's cheesy. This movie's so chock full of cheese. <laughs> yeah. So about those, um, they got these kind of weird trooper looking guys with them. Mm-hmm. Mattel, who was bankrolling this, did not want it to be overtly violent, which is kind of hard when you think about He-Man and essentially what the characters are. So they don't explicitly say it, but those troopers are supposed to just be robots. Oh. oh, But but you can't tell. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. I'm guessing that's just what they told Mattel. Okay. I mean, it's not very gory. You don't really see any blood or anything like that, but that's I think that's how they got past it was they just told him, oh yeah, they're robots. (laughs) Okay. Evil Lynn, there's a smart little trick here to get Courtney Cox out of their little spot in the music store. She saw a picture of Courtney Cox with 
her parents mm-hmm. or the you know the dead parents and she puts on like this facade that so she looks exactly like Courtney Cox's characters uh, Julie's mom looks looks just like her it kind of coaxes Julie out of the store she's like oh my god it's my mommy and she <laughs> she kind of goes see her and like you're not dead oh geez you waited until this exact moment and Evelyn's like putting on like this hey no we were doing a super scientific like secret thing and I'm sorry we had to pretend we were dead and we, we were working on this secret key thing that we need back now and it's just it's a smart trick <laughs> to get Julie out it was a mean trick yeah. but it worked and it made me think of there's a scene in the comedy movie Spaceballs where he essentially does the same thing. And but the movie these both these movies came out the same year. So I'm wondering <laughs> which one came first. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at the release date, so I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, they both use that exact same trick. So but basically, Evelyn has Julie steal the key and gives it to her. Then she basically disappears the facade and Julie's heartbroken. Thank you, my darling. But Evelyn opens up the key and sets up like a big ass portal, apparently, and in comes Skeletor. Mm-hmm. So Skeletor and like and a whole bunch of troops and like this big floating throne thing that he's got. Which also reminded me way too much of Star Wars. Yeah, very much so. It reminds me of the throne room scenes in Star Wars because he's got the similar looking throne and then that sort of like windowish thing yeah. looking behind it. This Star Wars thing is really hot right now. We should try and get a piece <laughs> of that. Skeletor sends his air centurions some just troopers who float on these hover fucking boards to find he-man and they get killed super easily wasn't even going to bring this up but like movies set something up a little bit as to be like oh i'm gonna send my even advanced thing and then they're like gone in a second Mm -hmm. and it's just like why the fuck did you even like just why waste the money (laughs) and the production value on something different just send more dumb regular troopers because it's all the same to me (laughs) if they're just gonna die that quick yeah so basically, this this movie doesn't do a great job of setting up good characters and strong plot, if you haven't guessed so far. <laughs> or writing, yeah. or acting, or fight choreography. He-Man takes one of their flying, one of these air insurance flying discs, uh, and so he hops on board in some really shitty graphics, flying around uh, to basically attack Evelyn. He ends up using Gwildor's grabber thing, and he grabs the key from her. Which she didn't really put a fight up. No. She just kind of <laughs> took it right out. <laughs> didn't try to hold it or, you know, tuck it under or something. Yeah, no. It was like, it, which was literally one of those things from like a crane game. It just kind of shoots <laughs> out. And those things are weak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess Evelyn doesn't have much grip strength of herself either. So <laughs> so He-Man grabbed the key and he's off. Skeletor then confronts Tila and Gwildor and Man-at-Arms. And then basically he's got them trapped. And He-Man comes... Julie tries to stop He-Man, you know, at this time because she knows it's a trap and she ends up getting shot in this weird, like, acid gun or something. Like, whatever shoots her, like, it just, it like, it looks like it's like a, almost an acid eating her, her leg or something. Something, yeah. Yeah. But we get a battle scene happening and then pretty much, and then Skeletor basically gives He-Man a deal. He's got He-Man's friends trapped and he won't hurt them if He-Man becomes his slave. Skeletor, in his evil plan, you know, for power and domination of Eternia, he knows that the people of Eternia won't fully bend to his will unless He-Man does so as well, because He-Man is like the representation of hope for everyone on Eternia. Mm -hmm. And so if he can enslave He-Man to do his bidding, then everyone else will lose all of their hope and just do whatever the hell he says. And just fall in line, yeah. 
Basically, He-Man agrees to this. In this battle scene, I also didn't mention that the other key that Gwildor had gets, like, busted, and it doesn't really work at this point. So since He-Man agrees, Skeletor says, okay, and he just leaves them. He portals out. He uses his key and portals out and leaves them alive. You know, he follows through in his deal. He actually, which is, which is, I thought, a respectable thing. It's noble, but it, to me, it seems like it's not in character. Yeah, like he, 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 he specifically says, though, if I keep them alive, He-Man will continue to do my bidding. Because if, if he killed them, then he knows He-Man would rise up against him. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I, but I do agree that it felt out of character because Skeletor should be more evil than that. Yes. And this felt like he's almost trustworthy yeah. in his deals. But the thing that pissed me off the most, so they quote-unquote abandon Tila, Man-at-Arms, and Gwildor on Earth after they leave them, but they leave the fucking busted key with that group. And one of the people who is in that group is the person who invented that fucking key and who knows how to fix it and knows how to do all that kind of stuff. Why didn't he just take the key with him? Why would he just allow that possibility, the slimmest, like, chance for them to rebuild and fix the key? It doesn't make any sense. Because then the bad guy would win and you can't have a movie like that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm too logical. I would be too good of a bad guy. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, so that that pissed me off. It's just like you know, just 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 take it, whatever. All right, moving on. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm just trying to get through this fucking movie. <laughs> We got the key is busted and specifically like it's not making the right tones. And something that they set up very quickly early on is that Kevin has the power of perfect pitch. <laughs> uh, this mu- the musician boyfriend. Ba, da, 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 ba, da, da, da. Wait a minute. I've got it. I've got it. That's it. That's it. He can help recreate the tones to make the key work. So they work together, Gwildor and Kevin, fixing up, kind of jerry-rigging it together. But at the same time, Julie's leg injury is getting worse. They know that the only way to fix her is to take her to Eternia because Eternia's doctors can help fix this injury, I guess. Uh, I think I think they were thinking of the sorceress. Oh, probably using the sorceress, yeah. Who barely makes any appearance in this movie, only at the beginning and the end. And she's trapped. Yeah, and she's <laughs> trapped. So how the hell could she help? <laughs> yeah, so their, their plan is a little idiotic. But guess what? It works out in the end, like all 80s movies. <laughs> Anyway, while they're doing that whole thing, or they're kind of like getting it all together, getting the key together on Earth, Skeletor returns to Eternia. He wants to harness the power of Grayskull, and he uses the sword of He-Man. So he's going to power up so he can crush He-Man's spirit and demoralize all of Eternia. And we've got basically like some torture of He-Man real quick. Like, or have a guy like whip him. Really trying to get into some some more evil shit. So here's some evil shit that, you know, okay, all right. Skeletor is a bad guy. And we see that Sorceress, who's trapped, is like dying and aging really fast. And like her power is diminishing because she's like the only person who's basically as powerful as Skeletor, but she needs the power of, of Grayskull. Mm-hmm. Skeletor puts the sword into like this slot and we get like this kind of like eye thing that opens up and it's starting to give him all this power. We get a very cheesy line of Skeletor who says, I am Skeletor, master of the universe. I, Skeletor, am master of the universe. And it's just like, oh, that's the name of the movie. Uh. That makes me happy. But he gets all this massive power, and with massive power, John, comes costume change. (laughs) (laughs) And Skeletor gets, like, this whole gold new helmet and, like, this whole 
other costume going on and he wants He-Man to kneel and Skeletor now like he's like shooting beams out of his eyes to, <laughs> to shoot at Skeletor at, at He-Man but right here in this moment Kevin and Gwildor they've fixed the other key and so they teleport all the way to Eternia and the cop even comes with them kind of on accident uh, with his shotgun mm-hmm. <laughs> the, they, they, <laughs> I'm gonna have to talk about the cop later but <laughs> it's just like so he gets there and he's like freaked out about what's going on they have a big battle scene uh, He-Man escapes his chains uh, and in this battle scene I, the choreography hilarious and you see this in a lot of movies but it looks so bad here uh, at one point He-Man grabs a gun he's like hitting people with it because like, maybe it's out of energy or whatever mm-hmm. and he has to hit Blade and it's a profile Shot and you so you can see the distance between He Man and his swing and the distance between Blade himself. Mm-hmm. It's at least like three fucking feet away <laughs> where he swings at it and Blade like pretends he got hit and then and, and, and swings back. And I was just like, oh my god, it was just it was so bad. You could have just <laughs> shot that at a better angle to yeah. solve, solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, but in all the madness, He Man grabs the sword. He says the classic He Man line. <laughs> Yes, but in his horrible accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dolph Lundgren's voice is not right for He-Man. No. It's just not. I love Dolph Lundgren. He was a great Ivan Drago as a person. He's like a fucking genius. He's got like degrees in like some crazy science that, you know, I could never even dream of. So the man himself is awesome, but like his voice just doesn't work for certain characters and He-Man is one of them. Yeah. But he kind of re-harnesses the power of Grayskull, continue our lame fight choreography. We get He-Man and Skeletor facing off of each other. He-Man breaks Skeletor's staff and Skeletor returns back to his like normal state. Basically, he's less powerful now. Mm -hmm. And in another scene stolen straight from Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, how does Skeletor die? Exactly like Emperor Palpatine (laughs) dies and he basically falls down this massive pit. Like he was going for an attack and he just kind of ends up falling down this pit and it looked exactly like a ripoff (laughs) of Return of the Jedi. It it, it was 100% ripoff. Like that character, they're just like, no, hey, I know we had this whole cartoon and that kind of backstory. Fuck all that. We just want to steal the Palpatine storyline. Let's just do that. And that's that's what they did. And it doesn't work, (laughs) really. So we're kind of wrapping things up. Finally, this movie dragged. God did this movie drag. And now I feel sad for our listeners because I feel like my review is dragging because I'm just, <laughs> it's, it's slow. We get this weird, weird decision by the cop to stay in Eternia because he's got like power and a castle and he's got like women now. And there's this like hottie standing next to him and he's just like groping her and just like eye fucking her to death. And I'm just like, you creepy, creepy, <laughs> creepy man. What the fuck? I... I didn't like him. I didn't that. I mean, I liked the character and I liked the actor, but that whole, why they did that. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, And then we get goodbyes and Julie and Kevin go back to earth. One thing, a quick setup that they only bring up here. They don't talk about any other time is that, (laughs) oh, hey, this cosmic key, it doesn't only travel in space. It can also travel in time and we can send you back into time if you want. And it's like, where the fuck did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't mentioned anywhere. If Skeletor had that power and he didn't use it, he could have fucked up everybody. If he had had space and time under his control with with his cosmic key, you, you would win. What the fuck? <laughs> but, but basically, 
without really telling Courtney Cox, they send her back in time a little bit to the day before her, or the day of that her parents are going to go take this plane and fly somewhere. I can't remember where. Uh, and they would crash. And so she stops them. Yay, Courtney Cox gets her wonderful life with her parents again. I thought that was way too cheesy of a wrap up. Way too perfect of a wrap up. Yeah, it was completely unnecessary. Shouldn't have happened. Because you're, you're right. It, it opens up way too many questions about what the key could have actually done. Yeah. And it was so unnecessary. It was. Just having her having closure and moving on yeah like just having her decide to stay in town and like live her life would have been a fine ending but like bringing back her parents and it just it didn't work no but that wasn't the weirdest thing in the scene for me (laughs) the weirdest thing in the in that ending scene was her nightgown (laughs) was part of the nightgown because so they send kevin and courtney cox back at the same time and they're all back in his back in time at this point she is wearing a nightgown because she is apparently just woken up from wherever she was at this moment. Kevin is wearing the exact same clothes he was wearing in Eternia, even though they're back in time. That doesn't make any fucking logical sense. Unless, where she has a change of clothes, but he doesn't. Unless Kevin only wears those clothes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess he wears that every day, all day, or day. Kevin is wearing like a fucking leather jacket and like purple shirt or whatever it was. The, the logic there angered me. I, 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 I don't like it when movies set up something and then they don't follow their own rules. Mm-hmm. And that was a rule break. And that's the end of the movie. And I'm glad I'm done talking about it. Thank God. Yeah. If you like bad movies, this is a perfect one to watch. You know, if you're a fan of Trolls 2, if you're a fan of The Room, if you're a fan of that kind of stuff, you can have some drinks and you can enjoy this film. If you're going to watch it for the nostalgic love of He-Man, you know this is not the right movie for you. No, not even close. What other final thoughts do you have, John? Uh, other than disappointment. Well, this movie, it's sort of weird. I actually... I actually never really liked this movie. Mm, mm-hmm. I have a much more nostalgic fondness for the cartoon than I do for the movie, but I thought it what it tied in well to just do all all things He-Man together. This movie does something that another movie that was a kind of a nostalgic callback did that bothered me, which was the characters that the movie title and everything is based on were not the central characters. Mm, mm-hmm. He-Man was not really the main character. Yeah, it was really. These two kids. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. Julie and Kevin, they drove the storyline. They are the and it, this, which is which is why I hated the movie Transformers. Oh, gotcha. because it was not about the Transformers. It was about Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> and I hated it. It wouldn't matter who was in that role. I hated the role. It was not told from you know their perspective. Masters of the Universe should have been He Man. He really doesn't do much in this movie no he doesn't have any lines he didn't yeah. yeah he doesn't talk a lot he doesn't really drive the story a lot to me that was it was not about him and that bothered me i wanted to see he-man yeah that really just it didn't happen the movie is again it's slow it's bad i really don't like it at all yeah before we go i do want to say like the look of dolph lundgren looks good as he-man like he's got the body his, his hair isn't quite stupid enough <laughs> But he has a decent look for He-Man, I feel. And so I think that they got that pretty decent. But yeah, everything else about the character was just fully off. I can kind of agree with you. I, I, to me, it's still not perfect, but I don't know if it'll ever be perfect. I mean, those muscles, John. Like, oh, God, those pecs. <laughs> Fucking perfectly rounded. Those abs. I mean, he, oh, oh. I can't breathe. I'm laughing so hard. All 
Alright, and now we're gonna continue our He-Man episode in the thing, well it's not even the thing that set off He-Man, but is the thing that we probably most know He-Man from in media-wise is the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon from Filmation that aired from 1983 to 1985. So this cartoon is not what started the toys from Mattel. They actually had the toy line before they had this cartoon. They, they had this cartoon to sell the toys even more. Yeah, I think I've mentioned it before, but there's a really great Netflix series called The Toys That Made Us Mm -hmm. that talks about the origins of He-Man. And there's actually, I think, a little bit of a debate over who actually created the character of He-Man. There's a couple guys who kind of claim that they're the ones who made it. Um, You really just need to go watch that series if you have Netflix. It's, It's really good. But it started out as a toy line, and then they added a comic book series with it that I think came with the toys, like little little comic books that came with the toys. And then I can't remember if they went to Filmation or Filmation came to them about creating the the cartoon series. Unlike Brave Star, which we talked about, which started as a cartoon and then became a toy, this one started as a toy and then became a cartoon. So Filmation produced this uh, cartoon, which we've talked about before. Actually, in our last episode, we talked about Brave Star. And just like Brave Star, the animation in this show is atrociously bad. In my opinion, does not hold up. Very, very um, slow animation. It's the same kind where the animators wanted to draw as little as possible. They wanted to animate as little as possible. (laughs) Well, they're trying to make it on the cheap. Yeah. Although I found this to be true, and maybe I'm the only one who thinks this. Even though Brave Star came out like five or six years after this one, Mm -hmm. I thought the animation on He Man was better than the animation on Brave Star. I'm not sure I agree, but okay. eh, I didn't have the love of the He-Man cartoon that you did, so I came in with a little bit more fresh eyes on both of them. All right, fair enough. But I, I, fu- I thought it was similar bad animation across the board. How about that? All right, fair enough. Yeah. Casting-wise, we had John Irwin as our He-Man. Let's see you pick on someone your own size, skull face. Uh, he also did the voice of Adam, who... Is awful character. I'll talk about him. Ah, this is the life, eh, Cringer? A sunny afternoon, a hearty lunch, and a beautiful view to paint. And also Beast Man. I'll show you all the true power of Beast Man. Alan Oppenheimer did the voice of Man at Arms. Look, it's Zohar speaking to me with telepathy. Skeletor is in the palace. Skeletor. Skeletor to King Randor. Skeletor to King Randor. Come in, you royal boob. And Cringer. I I told you before, I don't want to go. Oracle's dimension is full of spooky stuff. Uh, Alan Oppenheimer we've talked about before in our Never Ending Story episode. Several times. Yeah, actually, uh, exactly, on multiple things. Uh, And there's a couple other, you know, voice actors. There was pretty much only, like, seven actors who did all... All of the voices. Well, that was a lot like uh, in Brave Star. In mm-hmm. fact, Lou Scheimer, who was the executive producer of this show and Brave mm-hmm. Star and, and the other ones, also did voices. He did Orko and a few other small ones. Take a tip from me. Be a good winner and a good loser. You'll enjoy your games more, and so will the people who play with you. Good luck and goodbye. Obviously, the producer really loved cartoons so much, and he re- obviously really just wanted to be a voice actor. Or he just really loved his own money and didn't yes. want to spend for <laughs> getting a variety yes. of voices. <laughs> I'm sure he also got paid as well to to do the voices. So yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about about the voices. The two most iconic voices in this group are He-Man and Skeletor. Yeah, He-Man's voice was fine. Yeah. As He-Man was fine. As Adam the Prince, I fucking hated it. 
He was so <laughs> annoying and whiny. I couldn't stand Adam when he was Adam and not He-Man. I just wanted him to just, I wanted to go stab him. I wanted to slit his, I hated him. He was so annoying and stupid. Like, why wouldn't you just be He-Man at all times? I was going to ask you, do you think having the character of He-Man and Adam being different ones added anything to the story? Because there's only a small handful of people who knew that he was He-Man, which they actually state, in my opinion, still one of the best introductions to any cartoon. I don't care what you say. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! became the mighty battle cat and I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Only three others share this secret. Our friends, the Sorceress, Man-at-Arms, and Orko. Together we defend Castle Grayskull from the evil forces of Skeletor. Another one where the introduction is probably better than the actual cartoon. Yeah, yeah. The theme the theme was fine. It was, it was pretty solid. But do you think that added anything? No. I hated Adam. Like, I, he angered me. Anytime he talked, anytime he tried to do anything, he was just clumsy and stupid and just like... Do you think the sort of secret identity part of it had any, that added made, anything? That made less sense to me. <laughs> because he looked exactly the same, just without a shirt. And I was like, like, how, how, like the fact that Tila couldn't figure out that it was the same fucking person, it, it was like, it was very similar to me. Like the same kind of thing that Clark Kent takes his glasses off and then all of a sudden doesn't recognize him in the entire DC universe. Oh, wait, it's that other guy who's massively huge and has dark hair. But he even had like basically the same stupid haircut in both versions. He had the same muscles in both versions. He just had a shirt on and yeah. he talks stupidly. Actually, I tend to agree. And he spends most episodes, he spends most of the time as He-Man. Yeah. So he might as well just stayed as He-Man. Yeah, that was that was much that would have been much preferred, in my opinion. Skeletor's voice, done by Alan Oppenheimer. Skeletor is like an iconic 80s villain, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, he's he's up there in probably, like, when you think of, like, 80s TV show villains, Skeletor is probably, he's in the top 10, uh, if I would have to yeah. say. And I remember this, maybe maybe as a kid, but, like, but definitely can tell now. Skeletor's voice just did not fit with his look, in my opinion. He has, like, a, a whiny-ish, nasally-ish voice, and he's this badass-looking character character yeah he should have like a scarier deepish some more menacing voice but he just comes across more annoying and whiny to me i thought the laugh (laughs) i thought that fixed the character but when he talked yeah i I tended to agree when he was just talking he also kind of came off as a little whiny (laughs) a little bit yeah but the look of skeletor like the the design of him is pretty cool yeah that skull face and kind of like a a hood and but he's big strong muscle kind of guy yeah kind of a quick side story i've like any good parent i've started introducing my children to cartoons and tv shows of my childhood and we started kind of watching i've mentioned this before we just watched these videos of that just played intros from cartoons and stuff and they often play the he-man and she-ra one back to back and the intros to both of those are largely similar they basically just kind of introduce some of the characters and the bad guys and all that stuff my son went on 
for weeks and actually has still mentioned it the last time I, we, I was watching an episode with him in preparation for this about how he thought that Skeletor was way cooler <laughs> than the other character from Shiro whose name is Hordak which is a horrible name but I think he just likes and he's already expressed to me that because uh, I even mentioned I was like hey, do you want to like dress up as He-Man he goes no I want to be Skeletor yeah. <laughs> that's a cool kid <laughs> my son has an affinity for bad guys which yeah. I can't complain because often I do too mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about my two least favorite characters in the entire cartoon, and... I can probably guess one of them. Okay. Well, besides Prince Adam? Besides Prince Adam. Prince Adam doesn't count. Okay, uh, Orko. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> to me, it's too much like Snarf. He is very Snarf. Yeah. He's so awful. I hated Orko, and I'm glad. Honestly, I'm glad that he wasn't in the movie, because it would have made it worse. I, yeah. Maybe kind of like Gwildor was kind of Orko-esque in the movie, but not really. Not no. Yeah, okay. But maybe he was feeling that, that type of like, you know, just a side magical character a little bit, but he was like the side scientist character. But Orko, oh, fucking was awful. <laughs> I, I really, I hated the look of him. I hated his, everything about him. Like he was useless and he just had these magical powers and he was like a little court jester, but they included him on everything. And it's just yeah. like, why? I hated him. And I read something that some people really despised that the movie didn't include him. And as much as I didn't really care for the movie, I would have fucking god awful hated it if it included Orko. Uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> that character is just really stupid. Can you guess my other least favorite character? Uh, is it a good guy or a bad guy? It's a good guy. Tila? Not Tila. Tila is fine. Man at Arms? Not Man at Arms. It's, 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 oh, it's, wait. Cringer? Cringer. <laughs> Fucking Cringer. And they named him Cringer perfectly because he just cringes and he makes me cringe. And I can't stand him. He's just he's just a little bitch. <laughs> and... And it's really stupid. Like, he should just stay as Battle Cat the entire time and right. be badass. And, and the dynamic between, like, oh, he's a scared little pussycat to he's a badass Battle Cat, that change I didn't need and I didn't want. And I didn't think he was funny being a scaredy cat. I just hated him and his <laughs> voice annoyed me. And I fucking, I hated Cringer. <laughs> so, I, I hate a lot of things in this episode. <laughs> but, yeah, Cringer sucks. Um... One one thing that I thought was pretty cool, pretty interesting, is that uh, one of the composers of the music of this show mm-hmm. is named uh, Haim Saban, or Haim Sabin. I can't remember how to okay. pronounce it. Does that last name, Sabin, ring a bell to you? It probably wouldn't. Like Carl Sabin? No, no not Carl Sabin. Sagan. That's Sagan. Sagan. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, this is uh, Saban or Sabin. No. Uh, anyone who watched Power Rangers 100% knows the name Sabin or Saban because at the end of every episode it was like produced by Sabin. So this guy Haim uh, Saban I don't know how to pronounce it. He became a massive producer who's like the executive producer of everything Power Rangers. Wow. And he produced you know from the beginning of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers everything Power Rangers up in to including the movie that just came out and there's going to be a sequel to it, I've heard as well. He's worth $3 billion. Like, holy shit. This guy who who was a composer on He-Man now owns everything Power Rangers and is worth $3 billion. Good for him. Good for him. I'm fucking jealous. But I thought that was cool. So one of the one of the main producers of Power Rangers, yeah, anybody who has seen that show knows that logo and would recognize that name. Uh, something I just thought about, this is way back to how you dislike Orko. <laughs> um, originally, Orko's name was going to be Gorpo. <laughs> <laughs> would that have changed your mind? Gorpo. No. No, it would not have changed my mind. <laughs> oh, that was just 
bad. Other parts about the show, at the end of every episode, they kind of have like a lesson and they kind of recap. Well, what did He-Man learn today? Right. Well, he learned this and that and don't do this and uh, whatever. Like it, they had, a, they, they brought it back to like learning a lesson on each episode and that was cute enough. Like, I, well, it happened quite a bit in some, you know, it yeah. happened to G.I. Joe every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very similar. I kind of enjoyed watching that aspect just to kind of, it, that <laughs> threw me back into nostalgia more than probably anything else in the in the episode. Just be like, oh yeah, I remember shows that did that. Yeah. And that's pretty much all I've got about He-Man. Personally, the show was fine. I didn't hate it. I, I, I liked it maybe better than the cart, better than the watching the movie, but that's not saying too much. <laughs> And honestly, I think I enjoyed watching Brave Star more than I enjoyed He-Man personally. Just, okay. just myself. I think I enjoyed the Brave Star because they're very similar, obviously, with both being filmation. But yeah, I I, I thought it was okay. I, I But I didn't have the love that you did. So well, yeah, what, what were your thoughts returning to He-Man? Well, I was honestly, when I was skeptical before I started, because I had way back, probably 10, 12 years ago, when they first started releasing the He-Man TV show on DVD, which was a big deal. It's like, oh man, that's cool. I bought one and then watched it and I was like, oh God, I forgot how horrible this was. <laughs> and so I didn't watch it again. But then having come back to it now, I think I rekindled my love for it because I really actually did enjoy watching the cartoon. Now, maybe, maybe it was also because I generally watched it with my kids mm. and they actually did enjoy it. Oddly enough, especially my daughter really enjoyed it. Huh. Well, they have some strong female characters. I mean, Teela is pretty strong. They've also got Sorceress. Yeah. Uh, who I is mean, a very powerful yeah. character. I mean, and even Evil Lynn to a degree yeah. is a strong character. Yeah. I mean, bad animation aside, I didn't mind it so much. I even didn't really mind Orko, although, in, as we'll state in our casting, I would never want him in a movie. That's why, yeah. I tend to agree with you, Cringer was annoying. Yeah. I really did not like Cringer. And I didn't necessarily mind Prince Adam, but to me it seemed unnecessary and he should just be He-Man. It should just be He-Man and Battle Cat at all times. You can give He-Man weaknesses. You don't need the necessity of of him turning. However, if you don't have that, you don't get the cool him turning into He-Man scene of by the power of Grayskull and that sort of thing. Um, If you were going to do something like that, maybe if they did something along the same lines as Shazam, as he's like a kid that turns into He-Man. Yeah, that might have been worked better for me. Because it would have been much more of a drastic change because Prince Adam looked way... (laughs) Prince Adam was even muscly. Yeah. He looked way too much like He-Man just with a pink shirt. I do want to talk about one thing i also thought it was weird that skeletor did not live in castle gray skull yeah it, the, the castle name, gray skull looked way too much like an evil castle it did, and it's even the name sounds scary but yeah he he lived in like snake mountain yeah which is scary as well but like gray skull is not a friendly place where all like the happy good people should be sounding like they right. live well and and the the cat the front of the castle was a skull with fangs yeah and that part of it doesn't didn't <laughs> seem to match and i think even when i was a kid i thought it was weird that he was doing his power change in front of i think when i was a kid i associated skeletor with gray skull mm-hmm. and i for some reason i would think why is it why is he in front of skeletor's castle to yeah. do that that part kind of threw me off but i actually i really actually did enjoy going back to this and and we'll probably continue to watch it with my kids i don't know that i could stand to watch it i think i think i'm just kind of their excitement 
mm-hmm. makes me excited because yeah. it's it's something I definitely loved. I oddly enough, I remember watching the show, but apparently when I was the biggest fan, I was like four or five, which I don't really remember. Yeah, <laughs> but I just know this because our my mother's our mother has told us told me this that apparently I went second or third Halloween. I was He Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know. There are pictures evidence somewhere, but I don't yeah. remember that at all. But yeah, I actually but really with, in- but without those sweet pecs. I don't remember. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay. That's our review of He-Man and Masters of the Universe. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by Mattel. He-Man, He-Man. Who's the big guy with the muscles? Here's He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Skeletor is his enemy. He-Man, He-Man. If He-Man, Skeletor, and Castle Grayskull, you have to put the castle together. You're doomed, He-Man. Oh, yeah? Watch this action, Dad. Now I have the power. He-Man and Skeletor each sold separately. Castle Grayskull also sold separately from the Masters of the Universe collection from Mattel. All right, and now we are going to do our casting of a He-Man movie. We are definitely thinking more of casting He-Man as in recasting the cartoon than we are of redoing Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. I just kind of want to leave that one in the dust. Yeah. And I mean, but it's going to be a live action movie. Yes. My, we're not like just doing voice actors, but it's like we are starting from scratch. We are starting yes. a new He-Man movie from scratch, not from basing it yeah. really off of much of the movie. At no, all. at all. And when it came to picking characters, there are a ton of characters because obviously they were trying to make toys. So there's always different bad guys, different good guys. There were a lot to choose from, but we kind of boiled it down to, to a select few. So we're going to cast, obviously, He-Man, Man-at-Arms, Tila sorceress and then for the bad guys we're going to do skeletor evil in and beast man there were a few other bad guys that could have been in there that were fairly regulars but mm-hmm. beast man was probably one of the big regulars and we'd run the risk of the casting being way too long so obviously i think we're going to build up to it so we'll work backwards okay i think we'll kind of jump around a little bit because i want to end with he-man and skeletor okay so we'll go ahead and start with beast man okay kind of glossed over it in the when the movie portion and even the cartoon portion, but it really was a problem that Beastman was very underutilized in the movie. He was a big character in the cartoon. Yeah. Pretty much the right-hand man. Well, maybe the left-hand man and Evelyn <laughs> was the right-hand woman right. of Skeletor. But Beastman, he was very involved. He had, like, mental powers, too, didn't he? Or something. I don't remember. Yeah, he had some other, like, other, other power set other than just being a big beastie guy but he is a big bestial guy and he's gonna be in my opinion in my version a pretty cg character yeah um i tend to agree yeah you can do prosthetics that stuff and it would work to an extent but probably not as well uh so i went with somebody and i honestly may have even used him before but he's someone i've definitely thought about using before he is very good at doing cg stuff one of his characters who was koba in dawn of the planet of the apes uh was a fantastic CG character. And so I'm going with a littler known guy named Toby Kebbell, who is a great CG and like beast recreator for those kind of films. And so he would be my beast man. I'd put a little bit more beast into him as well. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I did find interesting is that the difference between beast man in the movie and the cartoons was to me, beast man in the movie seemed more like a beast with human characteristics, whereas beast man in the cartoon was more like a human with beast characteristics. Yeah, that's... His face wasn't really as beastly, mm-hmm. beastly in the cartoon as it was in the movie. Yeah. Um, he just sort of had like hairy features and he had he had like fangs and stuff, but he still seemed more human than anything like that. I 
went with uh, an actor not necessarily known for CG stuff, uh, definitely known for playing characters like this. I don't really know if they would give him lines or anything like that, but I haven't reused him yet in a casting, and I thought this character would work well for this guy. I went with Ray Park. Okay. As Beast Man. Would de- probably going more for the Beast side. Yeah. Definitely could do some more physical stuff. Yeah. He would definitely become much more of a of an interesting fighting character mm-hmm. uh, with Ray Park on him. So I'm uh, cool with that. I'm cool with that. I don't hate it. I think I like mine better, but I, I don't hate Ray Park. I, I, Ray Park's awesome. I see my character more towards the prosthetic side, okay. I think, than CG. Probably, yeah. Which is, that's what I think of Ray Park as doing is more sort of prosthetic stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, let's, we'll jump around to... Tila. Okay. Not a horribly impactful character, yeah. but she's there a lot. Yeah. Daughter of Man at Arms. Uh, I don't know. Which, t- which apparently actually in the cartoon, she's the adopted daughter of Man at Arms, uh, but she's actually the daughter of Sorceress. So she's the biological daughter of Sorceress. Okay. But the adopted daughter of Man at Arms. In my casting, as well, maybe even for yours, I threw that shit out of the window, and I, I didn't want that, any of that. I just wanted it to be Man-at-Arms and Tila. Kind of like, honestly, how it is in the movie. It's like, she is the actual biological daughter of Man-at-Arms. I honestly didn't even take that into okay. consideration. <laughs> okay. Like, the, to me, they didn't even have to be related. Uh, I did. And you'll see why. But uh, so for Tila, to me, it really could be anyone, depending on how you want to connect it to Man in Arms. So I went with um, an actress who, I mean, she's done some really good stuff. Um, She was recently in the Justice League movie, but don't hold that against her. (laughs) Um, Because she's also going to be in the next uh, upcoming Aquaman movie. And I went with Amber Heard. Okay. I like Amber Heard. She's, She's solid. Yeah, she kind of fits like even with that red hair kind of thing that would work well with Tila. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I didn't go with the traditional look for Tila or Man at Arms, and in my casting, they are related. They are okay. father daughter. I went with uh, an actress who would definitely have to have fake red hair, but I think it would work well. She even had she had like kind of some fake dyed hair in the movie Pacific Rim that she was in. So she's had some like you know some action stuff with Pacific Rim. She was also in Forty Seven Ronin. Uh, her name is Rinko Kikuchi. Apologies if I mispronounce that last name, but she's a Japanese actress, but she's done action stuff. She's done some big action stuff with with Pacific Rim, and it ties in to my choice for Man at Arms because I want them to be related father-daughter, um, and I think she is a good actress. I think she would do well. I don't hate that. I, yeah. I, We're very different. Yeah, it's very. It's going to be very different, and it's, uh, I don't know, like I said, the character of Tila is kind of, depends on how you write her. Mm-hmm. They'd have to do something more with her than than we really saw in the, the cartoon in the movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. I chose that actress because of who you chose. Who I already chose for Man at Arms. Man at Arms. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, well, let's, well, let's continue to jump around. Well, since you mentioned that she's the biological mother of Tila, mm-hmm. let's just go ahead and do Sorceress. Uh, I'll let you go first. Yeah. I didn't really keep the biological mother side of sorcerers, in my opinion. Um, and I went 100% typecasting for mine. <laughs> when you think of all-powerful sorceresses and goddesses, if you will, I went with an actress uh, who has very recently played an all-powerful goddess named Hela and who is pretty much all-powerful in the movie Lord of the Rings. She is a perfect fit, I think. A very typecasting. I went with Kate Blanchett. That was my first instinct, yeah. was to go with Kate Blanchett. <laughs> it really was my first instinct. I didn't end up going with her because I wanted to change some things around. I went with someone who you probably wouldn't expect because she's actually, she's very well known, but not well known for necessarily being an actress, although she is actually an actress. The thing she's most well known for is actually a reality show. Snooky? <laughs> is, he, is that who you got? No. Okay. She's a host of this reality show and it has nothing to do with acting. It has to do with cooking. I went with Padma Lakshmi. For my sorceress, who is the host of Top Chef. 
<laughs> okay. But she is an actress. She was an actress first. Okay. Um, and I, I really like her demeanor, and I think she would play a sorceress character well. I don't want to say she's as old as Kate Blanchett, because that makes them sound like they're old when they're really not that old. I thought she would work well as a different style of sorceress. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I went very, very typecasting. Yes. You kind of went against the grain. When I watch Top Chef, I don't think immediately, <laughs> like, I'm casting this person in anything, you know. But actually, Mark Dacascus who is like the grandmaster or whatever in Iron Chef, that guy's an actor, and yes. we will definitely talk about him in a movie down the line. Yes. I have to ask you, since we t- since you brought that up, when I first saw the commercials for the American Top Chef that he was in it, were you as shocked as I was I, to see yes. him? Yes. I was, I honestly, I, I was not happy. That I wasn't was either. Because I'm like, you're better than this. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So let's jump back over to the bad side. Um, actually, a lot of uh, a lot of females in this cast, which is nice. Evil Lynn. Yeah. I'll let you jump in with Evil Lynn. <sighs> Fuck. I just realized just how much typecasting I went into <laughs> my stuff. I really. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think too hard. I put down some other names like Angelina Jolie has like a good look for Evil Lynn, or even like Charlie Theron has done some similar stuff. I think in like the Snow White movies that you know she kind of would tie in her look. Um, or even someone like like an, a little bit older, or maybe not that much older, but like an Angela Bassett has mm-hmm. a good evil look to her. I didn't go that route. I went someone who is a little bit younger, definitely younger, but she is known for her magical powers. Also in Marvel movie, I went with Elizabeth Olsen as my evil in. Like I just went straight, straight for the, oh, one to one ratio (laughs) on my casting this time. All right. Well, that's fair. To me, Evelyn should be a little bit older. Um, so I went with an actress who is a little bit older now, although the the movie she's probably best known for, she looked very young, but I think a lot of that had to just look, and not that she looks old. That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's really a horrible thing to say, but she's, she plays evil characters well. So in that case, she is kind I am kind of typecasting her because I, I most know her as playing evil characters. Kids today would know her best as voicing the character of Stacy on the cartoon film. Phineas and Ferb, which in my opinion is actually one of the best cartoons to ever come out. Mm-hmm. If you've never watched it, it's one of those ones where it's very it's very kid-centric. No real violence that much or anything like that. It's very silly, but a lot of good adult jokes, which I would say is also kind of like watching Spongebob, but to me Spongebob is sort of like weird silly, whereas this one is just very you know, it's a Disney show, but I think it's one of the best cartoons mm-hmm. ever. She was also in a Marvel movie, although not an MCU movie. She was in X2 and played the character of Lady Deathstrike in uh, X2. I went with Kelly Hu. Oh, okay. Yeah, she would be pretty good and evil. Yeah, I like that. I think that's probably a better choice than mine. I'm going to agree yeah. with you on that. <laughs> <Fuck> <laughs> you. All right. <laughs> that it was a better that's, call. That's fine. All right. Uh, let's go to Tila's father or adopted father, as you choose, to, as however you want to look at that, or however the story goes, or in my case, really not, nothing Doesn't, to do with each other. Just don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. Man at arms. I'll jump in. Since yours are connected, I'll go ahead and jump in. I thought of this guy immediately. I've never seen him with a sweet mustache, but Man at Arms has a pretty sweet stash <laughs> in the cartoon, and I could I could see him having one. But I think this guy fits the character type and would work well. My Man at Arms is Terry Crews. Ah, interesting. He would look good with a big stash. Yeah, like a big stash. He's gonna be a like, big, like one. a comical stash. <laughs> yeah, Terry Crews. Well, like well, like one of those ones that kind of comes down and like almost into a beard. Type yeah, ones. Like, almost like a handlebar-y kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Okay. He's that's an intimidating man of ours, just how big he is. Like he might outmuscle He Man. <laughs> it's it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I, I I certainly didn't want my man at arms to outmuscle He Man, but that's an interesting call. I like mine better. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, my character of Tila, who is a uh, Rinko Kikuchi, I picked based off of my man at arms 
call. And my man at arms call, he was the second name that I put down that I really liked. And I was just like, you know what? I want this guy as my man at arms. And then I adjusted Tila afterwards to that. So man of arms obviously is like, you know, a soldier, older soldier kind of guy, but he's also kind of like, you know, wise. And he, he's not, he's not like, you see a lot of like grumpy old soldiers, like, like with, um, with Dino Rider, uh, of Gunner, like that kind yeah. of thing. But Man at Arms is a little bit, a little bit more level-headed, I think, a little bit, you know, yeah, a little bit calmer. I, would, I agree with that one. So an older actor needs to be a slightly older actor or someone who can, like, old up a little bit. And so I went with someone who was in The Last Samurai. He was also in the movie Godzilla, but he kind of can play the old soldier pretty fucking well. I went with Ken Watanabe. He's a great actor as well. I love Ken Watanabe, yeah. and I cannot fault you for that because yeah. I love Ken Watanabe, and I think he he would, and it would be interesting to see him in something like this, very sort of sci-fi-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something different for him, I, but he's a great actor. And so, like, I thought of him, and I was like, boom, that's my man at arms. And now I, I have my other story that I want to work in with Tila, so I switched that. I don't hate that cool. at all. I don't hate that at all. I can't fault you with that. Yay! I don't hate my pick either. <laughs> no. So I'm not going to say you won. Eh, I won. But I, I won. love Ken Watanabe. I won. And I, I, th- I, won. <laughs> I think you would do one. <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. Yeah. All right. Our two big guys. The, the Basically, the two guys that are going to carry this movie. Yeah. We'll start with the bad guy, Skeletor. Obviously, now we have the technology to go CG and make it look a little bit better. I still want... Because Skeletor, despite the fact that you know he's got the skeleton face, he's still pretty big mm-hmm. in the cartoon you got to have someone who i think can fill the because to me largely the cg is going to be in the face yeah and you can have some cg other places too you know however you want to do it but to me i didn't want skeletor to look as frail as he did in the movie i don't want him to look like emperor palpatine i went with an actor who is not known for being bulky although he did bulk up for a couple of roles i've used him before You've used him before. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way to escape this guy because anything CG related, he's going to get used. Mm. He's amazing at it. I went with Andy Circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a good call. I think the other reason I picked him was not just for the CG part, but because Andy Circus can give you a voice. He could give the right voice. And he, oh, yeah. I think he could give a good voice to Skeletor. Yeah. <laughs> we could use Andy Circus every fucking casting I know. if we wanted and, to. And I. I I, at first, I was like, well, maybe I should go. And then finally, I just said, just screw it. He's going to be the choice for Skeletor. He's going to do it. I, You know what's weird? I wasn't aware until recently that he played Snoke. Oh, you didn't know that? I, no, because I didn't care. I, I, hated, I hated Snoke. Snoke so much, I didn't care. <laughs> Funny enough, not the person that I picked for Skeletor, but two other people who made my shortlist for Skeletor were also acting side by side with Andy Serkis in the Lord of the Rings movies, ones that I didn't go with, I thought potentially Viggo Mortensen could be an interesting Skeletor. That would be an interesting yeah. pick, actually. And then also Hugo Weaving, who has done, maybe maybe I was thinking too much of Red, Red Skull. Skull. <laughs> Just like the skull face. But Hugo Weaving has a great voice. He's a good villain with like, even with prosthetic stuff, like like his voice can carry a movie like V for Vendetta. Right. And so he, he could bring something interesting to Skeletor. I didn't go with them. Okay. I went with an actor who I kind of went back to the body uh, to an extent. Because yeah, you got to have someone who can, he has to fight He-Man and has yeah. to still be strong and big. And this actor is someone who, he does heroic roles right now. He's more of a hero kind of guy. He is pretty damn big. And if it was my choice he would be my next bond as well an actor who plays heimdall in Ah. the thor movies i want to see him try some other villain roles i haven't seen him as a villain pretty much since the wire Mm -hmm. way back when i went with idris elba who i think would be a pretty badass skeletor you know what i like i i went with the safe pick yeah i think you went with the most interesting yeah mine's a little more interesting but i mean if i i'm with you if i had the money 
and the time, and I would have. And if I wanted to make He-Man right, I would push hard for Andy Serkis. And if I couldn't get Andy Serkis, then I might go think more out of the box, and Idris Elba would be my choice. That's how it is, in my opinion. Like Serkis is the duh. He's the duh call because yeah. <laughs> um, he'd kill it. Uh, but Idris Elba would bring a little bit something different, and he'd have like he could actually use his body and his height. He would be um, fairly menacing. Yeah, you know it's funny. I didn't. Th- think about him because obviously I didn't pick him for this but he also would be an interesting He-Man yeah he would he would absolutely he was a name that kind of crossed my mind as He-Man at one point and then I switched him over to Skeletor all right well speaking of Mm He-Man let's go to it and I'm gonna go ahead and jump in because my He-Man oddly enough relates to your pick for Skeletor in the same way that in an earlier casting we had him reversed where I picked Idris Elba for something that you picked Uh Chris Hemsworth for (laughs) and my He-Man is Chris Hemsworth oh that's funny yeah that makes a lot of and sense. It had a lot of it had a lot of to do with the fact that not too long ago I, I rewatched Thor Ragnarok and I was like, oh yeah, he could be He Man. Yeah. So that's my pick. I it's kind of unceremonious, but that's my pick for He Man was Chris Hemsworth. He fits. Uh, would you give him the dumb haircut? Would you like dumbify his haircut a little bit, or would he kind of look? No. Yeah. He'd, I, not, not <laughs> he'd be the... more modern. He'd be kind of like his hair in Thor Ragnarok, yeah. short and spiky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was on my list. I also put down Kellen Lutz, who was in the Legend of Hercules, a kind of a flop movie, but he's kind of got the body um, and like he. There's talks of him wanting to be He-Man. I also put down Channing Tatum, but I don't want that. I didn't. I didn't go with any of those guys. I went with an actor who I think he need to put on a little bit of bulk, but he's got the good body for it. He played Tarzan in the movie. I think The Legend of Tarzan. Oh. I went with Alexander Skarsgård. Huh. He's he could do the blonde and he could he's got a good body. You know what? But to me, he's he's always been very sort of lanky. Yeah, and but- then even when he's bulked he's yeah, still kind I mean, of like i don't know he's I, a, like, Tar- tarzan's a little bit lankier but if you if you see some some pics of this guy of alexander skarsgård without his shirt on <laughs> oh boy <laughs> he's looking pretty good and especially in like his tarzan role i'm like yeah i, I looked at, i looked at those shots and i'm like oh yeah if you get a little bit more if you if you just take some creatine and you know <laughs> i'd say he'd have to bulk if you get a little bit of swole <laughs> he has got the body 100 percent uh I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I. I don't know if I. I like Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. I didn't actually bother to see Tarzan just because I don't really care about that character okay. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved him in True Blood. Yeah, he's yeah. he's definitely skinnier in True Blood. He made a he made a great villain. I think he's a good actor. Don't know if I see him for this role. Okay. I don't know if I can. I mean, Chris Hemsworth is he's the a duh, duh looking he's, call. He, yeah. he definitely looks like it. You see, you see some shots of him. I went with a few obvious yeah. choices in this. Yeah. One. Well, so did I with the with Kate Blanchett. <laughs> so we can put them all together. Yeah. We, Actually, we put them all. We, put, and we have a Marvel movie. We, have, <laughs> we basically just have the next Thor movie. Yeah, essentially, exactly. is what we have. <laughs> we have Thor and the Masters of the Universe. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Well, that is our casting for He-Man. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, all He-Man episode. He-Man. And we'll see you next time. Please join us next time for a Jonathan Brandis-based episode. We review his movie with Chuck Norris called Sidekicks and the show he was in, Sequest, as well as recast Sequest. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at Blast Past Cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.